Hey, it's Manoush, the host of Note to Self, the show that looks at how technology is changing our everyday lives. Watch this space for new episodes coming soon, but right now you are about to hear one of our most favorite episodes ever. If you're hearing it for the first time, enjoy. If you've heard it before, it might sound different with all the recent headlines about privacy, data, and democracy. There's a lot shifting right now. Meanwhile, if you want to discuss further or just be in touch, you can always reach me at ManoushZ, M-A-N-O-U-S-H-Z, on Twitter or at ManoushZ.com. For now, thanks for listening. I'm in love with my bot. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your bot. Um, I'm in love with ResistBot. It's really simple. You sign up through a website, you plug in your phone number, and you get a text message. And it prompts you to write messages to your members of Congress. And the resist bot will turn it into a formally formatted fax that it sends to their offices. Note to self, bots can be our friends or they can be our enemies. It's Manoush Samarodi. And today we're going to explain the difference so we can all make sure that these bits of code don't drive wedges between us humans. That woman at the beginning was my sister, Gita. She's been on the show before. And the bot that she signed up for after the presidential election is like her personal civic assistant. It makes contacting her congressperson about issues that are important to her easy. I've got a bot in my life, too. Hundreds of them, actually, on Twitter. Dozens of fake accounts have been following me there. I don't know if they're good or bad. And guys, it's kind of been freaking me out. But we're going to get to that in a minute. Because you see, bots can go either way. Helpful bots do things like update the weather. They scan for the best price for that flight you're thinking about booking. Then there are also bad bots like the social media bots we've been hearing about that have shaken the very core of American politics and the stability of the European Union. This is not hyperbole. These bots are extremely influential. You want me closer to the mic? Yeah, maybe close. Ooh, that sounds better. Yeah. And so at Oxford University, their Internet Institute is researching bots as fast as possible, led in part by this man. My name is Phil Howard. I'm a professor at the University of Oxford, and I study how politicians manipulate people. Phil is a sociologist who researches how new technologies spread messages, which makes him the perfect person to explain why I've got all these new bot followers on Twitter. I have been getting hundreds of followers every day, and they're pretty obviously bots. Like, they have people names, but they've never tweeted. And I don't understand what they want. Well, one is that somebody has purchased some bots for you, and they're trying to make you look more popular. Although I know you're very popular. They're trying to make you look more popular. I mean, who would do that? My mom? Maybe. Well, so the the dark side of this is that it could be somebody who's bought them for you and assigned them to your account in case they're ever needed. If you say something that's outrageous and they they need to shut you down or drive you off Twitter. And in our research, we have found that bot-driven campaigns, this is in the developing world, bot-driven campaigns tend to be used to target female journalists and prominent female intellectuals, female public figures. 
So this is a known technique. What would they do? They'd curse at you and they'd call you the foulest of things and they would try to get your followers to see that you are corrupt. I mean, this is sort of what happened to Hillary Clinton. The Hillary's corrupt message was targeted at Hillary's supporters, not so much the people who already didn't like Hillary Clinton. What we saw over the course of the campaign was this messaging around Hillary's corrupt start with the Trump campaign on Trump-related hashtags, but then it got moved over to target Hillary supporters. So your fan base might eventually get messages about, actually, they would get misinformation, right? They'd get made-up lies about your criminal record and your bad morals, unethical behavior. And that would go on and on and on until you decided to get off Twitter. Okay, so it's either someone who wants to make me look good, in which case, thank you, mystery person, or maybe someone or several someones who are watching me and might activate their bots. Right. Yeah, that's right. I don't like either of those options. Neither of those scenarios are good, but it's hard to know. And so the real problem here, aside from the inflated popularity scores, is that I think people are starting to trust social media less and less. For many years, we trusted social media because Mm -hmm. it was mostly our family and friends, right? We trust our family and friends to send us good jokes, high-quality information, and to vet content a little bit before passing it along. And all this fake news stuff, I think, is going to erode trust in social media. And so ultimately, I don't think it's good for Facebook or Twitter to allow it to spread. How do we even get to this bot dystopia? Well, about a decade ago, advertisers started using social media bots, putting out messages that looked like they came from a real person who happened to be super excited about Kim Kardashian or a cute pair of platform sandals. Political campaign managers took notice of the tactic, and they started using bots to spread political messages. Then people with extreme political views, they actually call themselves patriotic programmers, they started using bots. Then they may go to a website from a company in Singapore and purchase a thousand bots for a couple hundred dollars. And they'll take that the little message that they've crafted and they'll load it into the interface and come up with a date range that this message will come out and pay for the repetitions and retweets. Phil Howard and his team have completed new research into what happened on social media during the last few days before the presidential election in November. Specifically, who spread what on Twitter in the swing state of Michigan? What we found was that a very large proportion of the stuff, of the links people were sharing was junk. But the other side of this is that the proportion of junk people were sharing was about equal to the proportion of professional news content. That was being shared. So, for so you're every, saying for every one tweet about, you know, something true that was happening on the campaign trail, there was also a tweet that said complete and utter nonsense. Absolutely. Yep. It was about a one-to-one ratio for Michigan. We, didn't, we haven't done the whole country. We're still working on that. But for Michigan, there was a one-to-one ratio between this junk and stuff produced by a professional news organization. I, I love that you use the term junk news instead of fake news. Why do you? Mm. Well, there was a lot of other kinds of stuff that we were seeing that was more like commentary, packaged as news, put on websites mm-hmm. that are designed to look like newspapers or, ma- or magazines. And these kinds of stories start off with a few facts, but then bend the truth or change the storyline or end up in an essay that's mostly about uh, insulting somebody 
or trying to get you angry and outraged about something and not about delivering news and information. Mm. So there's such a variety of content that uh, we just decided to call it all junk because it was too hard to too hard to break up into subcategories of junk. And I mean, do you think that that's why Michigan, a swing state, swung towards Trump because of this? I think it's definitely part of the story. I think it's tough to pinpoint the relationship between one ad or one tweet and one voter. We can't measure how many voters actually change their mind because of something they read on Twitter. But media provides kind of an ecosystem of content and with TV coverage and print and social media coverage, altogether it it added up to a lot of misinformation mm. to the point where I think basically the outcome was a mistake. A mistake you're you're calling it. Yeah, it's a mistake in the sense of election interference. When there's so much misinformation that voters don't know what's true, they they can't make good decisions. Hmm. There was one really big fake news story about how the National Health Service would save 350 million pounds a week if only we weren't part of the EU. Or I think if the United Kingdom withdrew from Europe it would be able to put 350,000 pounds per week into the health service. And this number was made up and it was plastered on the side of a bus. And everybody thought it was junk news at the time, but the campaign stuck to it. The elections officials here haven't gotten around to fining the campaign for raising that message. And most of the, the senior campaign staff behind the Leave campaign have admitted that it was made up and had no basis in truth. Okay, in a minute how the Germans and the French managed to ignore the bots and what we can all learn from them. Stay with us. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And just a reminder to everyone, start taking note of the good bots and the bad bots in your life because they are everywhere. Probably mostly helping you, but maybe not. We've been talking to Phil Howard, professor of internet studies at the Oxford University Internet Institute. In a resounding rejection of the far And of course, we need to mention what happened in France. The campaign emails of French president-elect Emmanuel Macron were hacked. Documents that were in those emails quickly spread across Twitter with the help of bots using the hashtag MacronGate. The New York Times reported that one account tweeted 1,668 times in just 24 hours. That's more than one retweet a minute, all day long, with no sleep. Yeah, bots don't need sleep. And the top 25 tweets shared with the Macron leaks hashtag, they were written in English, meaning that American political tweeters, or people who wanted to seem American, were likely behind them. But of course, also doing some spreading of junk news, and maybe the hacking too, the trail, once again, leads back to Russia, just as it did during the U.S. election. We haven't been able to associate particular bots with the Russian government. We have looked at the volume of Russian 
content, so the amount of news that came out of Russia Today or Sputnik, one of the Russian news agencies, and depending on the state and the time of day, it's between 5 and 10% of all the news content being shared actually originates with RT. Hmm. That's a little surprising, given yeah. that no, nobody actually watches the <laughs> watches the broadcasts. So we think that RT has a very aggressive social media campaign to provide their news output to American voters. We also did the same kind of research for the Brexit referenda in the UK, mm. and we found a similar phenomenon that the Leave campaign was putting out significant amounts of misinformation at several times the volume of what the Remain campaign was doing. Okay, so that's the English speakers. We, we've both the UK and the US have had big votes. But what about in Europe, Germany, the mm. Netherlands, France? France. Yeah, so we've looked at a German federal election in February. There we found that Germans were trading, uh, for every one piece of junk, there were four links to professional produced fact-checked news. For France, the ratio was two to one. So for every one piece of junk, there were two links to fact-checked news output. Huh. So how do we account for the fact that the Germans are getting less junk news, is it a cultural thing? Is it because the government in Germany really takes a stand when it comes to proliferating fake news? I mean, they're threatening mm. to fine Facebook for things that they don't take down. Yeah, I think you're right that it's about political culture. There's slightly more public investment in media. So France is a little bit better off. Germany's much better off. And I think it's because of this public support that comes to some news agencies to keep them high quality and independent. And what's interesting about the France and Germany is that the far right and the far left both seem to be using Russia Today content. Wait, so am I getting this right? I, I want to make sure I understand this. So something like Russia Today, RT, produces nonsense articles on both sides of the political spectrum, and then the parties back in France unleash the bots to spread that message. But what's in it for Russia Today or the Russians in general? Just like chaos? Yes, that's exactly it. Their strategy is to plant multiple conflicting stories that just confuse everybody. If they can successfully get out four different explanations for some trend, then they've confused everybody and, and they're able to own the agenda. That is terrifying. I mean, I know we've been talking about this like since the American election, but the idea of um, anarchy being the answer? Mm -hmm. I agree. And well, part of the answer, at least for democracies, involves more fact-checking. And I think it involves placing some responsibility for this misinformation on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Ultimately, those are the social media platforms that served large amounts of junk to voters in Michigan. If I was trying to imagine how to do this with algorithms, though, I think it'd be really hard to build a fact-checking algorithm that would proofread news stories. It might be easier to build an algorithm that would promote stories from trusted news sources. So if you already know that there's five, six, ten different news organizations that over the years have done credible fact-checking and are credible sources, those are the sources that should be promoted over the organization that's got a low rating, that's paying for placement, right, paying for ads. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be easier to write the algorithm to do something constructive rather than to design an algorithm that would sort of be a censor. 
But I tell you, right now, the bot messaging that we've seen on Twitter and some of that has leaked onto Facebook was were campaigns to discourage voters from showing up. So we saw a campaign saying that Hillary Clinton had died and that she wouldn't be running for office on Tuesday and that Democrats didn't need to vote because she died over the weekend and Trump was the only alternative. There was another campaign that the voting day had moved. I think the social media platforms could help catch those and stop them. And they could spend a little bit of time encouraging people to vote. Is it easier to set up a bot on Twitter than it is on Facebook? Because I thought Facebook, they really want real people's names, right? Yep. The problem that Facebook has is with fake accounts. So large numbers of fake accounts managed by firms in Eastern Europe. And you can go and rent some of these profiles for a period and get them to like a certain product or like a certain political candidate and push out messages in favor of that candidate or that product. I just want to put all of this conversation in context. I mean, how big of a problem is it? Or is it just a problem for a a slice of the population? Well, a significant portion of young people are growing up with social media, and some of them are quite sophisticated in their use, and some of them aren't. So there's a range of platforms that young people are using to develop their political identities. And that's where bots are active and could be sort of damaging in the long term. So these are the policy options that European governments are thinking of. They're thinking of fines, right, 20,000 euros per post. The other possibility is censorship, right, having governments closely watch the content. And I'm not a fan of that scenario. Another possibility is to have these algorithms audited. So we audit video gambling machines, right? We audit the algorithms that financiers use when they're making their big trades. So it might be possible to audit Facebook's algorithm and and make sure that the content is being distributed equally in in fair ways. The other possibility is industry self-regulation. And that's kind of what we have now. And I think we've been through two big major political crises, the Brexit vote and the November 2016 election in the US. Both of these were major tests, and I don't think industry self-regulation is a good option for now. Phil Howard, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Manoush. Professor Phil Howard of Oxford University's Internet Institute. They are doing some cool research over there. In the end, the leaks and junk news didn't go very far in France. TV and newspapers didn't spread the story because French law requires a news blackout right before Election Day. Bots blasted out those political leaks on Twitter, but because so many of those tweets were in English, the French ignored them because they do not take kindly to interference from the English-speaking world. You can also try out a tool, like Bot or Not, to see if a Twitter handle is a real human. We'll put a link to that on our website. As for my bot problem, all those hundreds of fakers who are following me, waiting for who knows what, well, note to self-producer Kat Aaron has decided to buy a bunch of bots that will protect me and tweet out nice things if those fake followers ever turn against me. Hashtag ridiculous. The note to self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Thanks to Matt Boynton for his production help this week, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and I am a real person.
All right, this is good. All right, cool. <laughs> How long are you going to keep doing this for? Four years. Oh, <laughs> touche. <laughs>